0: Friends, our scripture lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. It's a continuation of last week's passage. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I always like to make sure that you leave knowing one thing you didn't know before, so maybe you didn't know this little piece of trivia cocktail party conversation. The word salary actually comes from this Latin word salarium, because Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt, and their monthly allocation of salt was a salarium, and that's where we get the word salary. So today, you walk into your boss's office, and they say, bonus time! here you go. So we take it for granted. We take it for granted, and it is difficult sometimes for us to relate to some of these older metaphors that Jesus would use because it was in such a different time, and we understand these things so differently. And so today we have salt, and it is pure, and it is cheap, and it is abundant, and it's presumed that we're going to have it. But this passage talks about salt, and it does talk about it in one way that is absolutely something that has carried forward into our time, and it's when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And a reminder, following on last week's passage, this is where Jesus is talking to the disciples who he just called. So he has just called disciples to follow him, and he, they're up with him being taught. And so when he says you, he's talking to them, all right? The you is the circle of disciples. So he's talking to the circle of disciples, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. And this is what they're called to be. And, and this is the origin of the phrase as we continue to use it today. All right, And so this phrase, you know, if you look it up and say, where does it come from? It comes from Matthew chapter 5. That's why we use this term today. But if you look it up in the dictionary, it, it has the same meaning it had back then, which was to say, a very good and honest person or group of people. This was their marching order. You are called, as as my disciples, to be good and honest, to be faithful and authentic. Now this is a pretty simple message today because I think Jesus is talking pretty simply to his disciples about what they're called to do. But we sometimes do need to remember that the salt we have is not the salt they had in terms of, of how it functions. And so one thing that uh, I always talk about because we can't really relate to it is when Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, we have to remember the difference because we know that we have no idea, nor do we care how old these things are on our shelves, right? They remain salty, it, it stays forever, All right. It, it never goes away. But in that time, salt, the sources of salt were not pure, it, they, it was either mined or it was dried on the sides, on the banks of salt water bodies of water. And so you'd have saltwater bodies of water, and when the, the the water at the edges evaporated, what was left behind was salt. But the salt on those banks was mixed with minerals, and so it wasn't purely salt. And so that mixture was regarded to be salt. But if, for whatever reason, it got exposed to moisture, the salt would dissolve away and the other minerals would be left behind and you would have this mineral um, uh, substance that was sitting there that looked like the salt, but it had no flavor. And that's what he's talking about. And it really wasn't until very modern times that we had the salt the way we have it now. Um, I was reading a small book online that I found called The History of Salt. It was not a bestseller, apparently. Um, And he mentioned that in colonial America, the process that they used for trying to dry salt water and get salt behind would, would produce this substance that was salty, but it was brown because of the water that it came from. So it was actually brown in color. And in the 1800s, when they developed the process for having pure salt, they actually had trouble selling it because it wasn't brown. And so they had people going, what is this stuff? It can't be salt, it's white. And they had to be convinced that it was actually better than the brown salt that they were used to. In fact, we do see this today, right? You see colored salts, right, from different parts of the world, right? You know, I think some of us may have used like pink Himalayan salt and and stuff like that. So you do see salts that are of different colors. So at that time, they had salt that could actually lose its saltiness. And this is what Jesus is referring to. And this is a very simple reminder for us today that it is very possible to have the appearance of faith without the substance, So you can appear to have faith. You can bundle up and you can haul yourself to church and you can come every week and you can actually not be a person of faith. You can actually not be a person who is doing what Christ asks even though you have the outward appearance of being faithful. And so we have to remember that this is a warning that also persists to this day that what we appear to be has to be what we really are. If you're going to be salt of the earth, then you have to be good honest, authentic people all the time in all of your dealings. And how you impact the people around you is central to what Jesus is teaching. I mean, after all, he goes on to talk about this second metaphor that he uses, you are the light of the world. And then he says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. It's not just a matter of being light so that you can see your way, it's a matter of being light so that all in the house have light. And so if you're not having this positive impact on the people around you, on the environment around you, then you aren't being the light that God created you to be. But I really want to get back to this thing about salt. Now, I, uh, most of you, if you know me, you know I like to cook, and, and I like to bake, but I had, not, I had only learned baking not all that long ago. It was really when I came here, I started to bake, and some of you who've been members for a while remember Barbara Soyster, okay? Barbara Soyster, she passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, she w- had, at one point in her career, had been an editor of a food magazine, so she knew food really well. And I ma- one of the things I baked early on, I made this batch of amaretto brownies, all right? And I brought them in, and, I, and Barbara tasted them. Now, Barbara will tell you what she's thinking. She would tell you what was on her mind. And so she tasted the brownies, and she said they could use a little more salt. And I was... A- actually a little confused by this. I mean, I just started baking, and I really didn't understand the role of salt. Like, if you have ever made cookies or brownies, whatever, and you see, like, add a quarter teaspoon of salt or a half a teaspoon of salt, and wondering, what is it doing? Well, although I was not very good at baking, I had been a chemistry major, and so I had to start researching these things. And one of the things I learned is when you begin to cook... They teach you that there are five basic tastes, so if, you're, if, you, if you've been into cooking, you've learned there are five basic tastes, and these are sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and the newest one that they had learned about after the first four were isolated was this thing called umami, or savory. Like in Asian cooking, soy sauce adds both salt and umami. To, all right. So you have these five basic tastes, and a lot of cooking is about balancing these things. It's about learning to balance and that's why my mom like a lot of moms don't want to be sexist moms dads if you do the cooking would put like sugar in spaghetti sauce and stuff to to, if the tomatoes weren't sweet enough you try and balance that out you put the you put the sugar in okay but i was curious about this idea of needing more salt in my brownies and what i learned was a very simple scientific thing about what salt does Salt suppresses bitter. And if you think about chocolate brownies, right? Cocoa has bitterness, right? You have have dark chocolate, there's bitterness to it, okay? So the salt suppresses bitter, and by suppressing the bitter, it lets the sweet be more elevated. So the role of that little bit of salt that you put in is to counteract any bitterness that's in the other ingredients and elevates the sweetness as a result. And I thought, wow, this is, this is fascinating to me. And then in terms of preaching this, I'm like, this could be like the most simple, dumb metaphor for life and what we're supposed to be that exists. Because when you think about those flavors, sweet, the basic taste, sweet, salt, sour, Bitter, savory. I think that describes our lives. All right, our our lives, we have some sweet, we have some sour, we have some salty, we have some bitterness, and we have some savory. Those things exist in our lives day to day. And if you're going to be salt, what you do as salt is you suppress the bitter and let the sweetness shine through could there be a simpler easier description for how we should be moving through the world to be salt to go into the world and suppress the bitterness that we encounter in life suppress the bitterness that other people around us encounter in their lives and help the sweetness shine through See, Jesus tells his disciples that their righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And what he means by that is not greater obedience. The scribes and Pharisees were incredibly obedient. But righteousness is not about obedience. I mention this every time the word righteous comes up. The word righteous in Greek refers to fairness and justice. Your fairness and your justice must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because the scribes and Pharisees had elevated the task of obedience to the point where it was no longer just and no longer fair. In fact... They had taken this metaphor of faith and taken it to a level that we all also understand in our lives, which is that salt can be destructive. Too much salt in your food ruins the meal. Road salt destroys the undercarriages of cars, destroy, right? it, it's bad for the environment. Right? Here at the church in the wintertime, we spread the salt. You know, when people track it in, it gets into the carpets and stuff like that. Right. Salt can be destructive, used to excess, used indiscriminately. It can be a destructive force. The Pharisees and scribes had taken obedience to the law beyond the point of being fair, beyond the point of being just, and to the point that it was destructive. It was no longer enhancing the lives of people. It was now destroying it. Because Jesus said he was here not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And this word in Greek that gets translated as fulfill actually has both of those senses that you can kind of get to from the word fulfill. When something is fulfilled, it is both completed, there is the sense of completion in fulfillment, but there is also the sense of completion as in wholeness. That something is both whole and done when it's fulfilled. And that same sense is here in the word. He has not come to abolish the law, but he has come to make the law something that is both completed and whole. And the the wholeness of the law is when we understand that its end purpose is to enhance life. Law is not supposed to be a burden on you. That's not why God gave us law. God gave us the law not as a burden but as an enhancement. It is a set of rules that tell us how to live in order that our lives are enhanced, not burdened. It's to enhance our lives both in the here and now and in the eternal. And that is what we need to understand is that faith, like salt, brings out the best in life. Right? We certainly know that in terms of food, right? You can take the, the a plain, ordinary dish and just a little bit of salt makes everything taste better. If your life isn't better, better because of your faith, and I don't mean materially, I'm talking in terms of meaning and purpose, I'm not talking about materially better. If your life isn't better because of your faith, if you aren't experiencing more meaning, more peace, a sense of purpose, a sense of of belonging, understanding a little more about why you're here, then something isn't right with how you've approached faith, or how you've been taught faith. Because it's not there to impose a burden on you. It is there to enhance your, your everyday life. It is there to enhance the way you understand your presence here on earth. And it's also there to enhance the lives of the people around you. See, one of the questions that I have is, are you salt in the lives of everyone you encounter? One of the more depressing things that I hear is when people are just neutral with regard to your faith. You know, like if you say to someone, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and they go, oh, that's great, good for you, wonderful, glad you are, you know, glad you found something that works for you, I'm not, whatever, and they're just totally neutral about it. It's actually sad to me, because even if they don't believe, they should be happy to have Christians around them, because we should be making people's lives better. If we're going to be salt, then we should be enhancing the lives of everyone around us. Okay, So you may have a neighbor who's not Christian, and that's fine. That's up to them. But they should be happy that you're Christian and you're their neighbor. They should be happy. It should be a positive. They should be thinking, oh, it's great. I'm so glad that the family next door is Christian. Not because they want to convert necessarily, but because they know, oh, they're going to be good neighbors. They're gonna be good neighbors. When it snows, and maybe I'm not feel I'm not under the weather, they're gonna shovel my walk after they shovel theirs. They're gonna be respectful of the boundary lines. They're, you know, that they're just gonna be good people to be around. Employers should be happy to employ Christians, not again because of the faith per se, but because of how you enhance the world around you. They'll go, okay, yeah, you know, when we employ Christians, they're they're honest. They work hard, you know, hard days work for a good day's pay, that kind of thing. They're honest, and they're kind to their coworkers. They're easy people to get along with because they're, they're really understanding and compassionate with their coworkers. They should be happy to have Christians in their lives, even if they aren't Christian themselves, because of the enhancement we're supposed to be bringing into the lives of people around us. Because everyone wants to be surrounded by people who are kind. Everyone wants to be surrounded by people who are compassionate. Everyone wants to be surrounded by people who are honest. Everyone wants to be surrounded by people who can be trusted. And when we do that, we're being salt. We're being salt in the lives of the people around us. So it's a, simple, it's a simple command. Enhance the life of people around you the way salt enhances the food that you eat. Don't be destructive about it. And remember that a little bit, a little bit, makes a big difference in the world around us. Amen.